it gotta be in your heart. Cause if you ain't doing it from the love in your heart, you're not gonna understand the culture. You're That's not right. gonna understand the work we put into these suits. You're not gonna understand the tradition of what Indians are built on. This is a nation. This is serious business. What up, what up? I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back in the kitchen. I'm whipping it up. And uh, really quick, y'all, before we get into it, man, do y'all have some debt you need to pay off? Do you want to travel more this year? Are you unsure about what you're going to do with your time now that the football season is over? Are you tired of having a boss telling you when and where to be somewhere? Are you tired of having to ask permission when you can go to the bathroom? Well, look, check this out. You can become a driver for Lyft today. Lyft has a $1,300 guarantee when you give 135 rides in the first 30 days. When you use the promo code Emmanuel32636. Remember to use the promo code Emmanuel, E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L, 32636 to get that $1,300 guarantee within 30 days once you hit your 135th ride. And the cool thing about that, if you hit 135 rides and you only have $1,100 in fares, they will give you that $200 to fill in at $1,300. You know what I mean? So the gap will be filled no matter what within the first 30 days. So liberate yourself. If you have a car that's 10 years or younger, you're eligible. If you don't have a car, you can rent a car through Lyft Express. So check them out. Don't forget to use the code Emmanuel, E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L, 32636. All right, so um, I have a very special guest with us, man. He's back for the first time. He's back like he never left. He's back like a chiropractor off a of vacation. He is a legend in the making, like the director's cut of I Am Legend. I have brother Chuck Barber. Say what's up to the people, bro. What's up to the people? Yeah. <laughs> How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Outstanding. On this on this rainy, nasty, gloomy day in Portland, man. Yeah, well, it is Portland weather. It is so, Portland, ain't it? Yeah, sir. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I'm I'm glad you're able to come through. Uh, we were supposed to do this two weeks ago, but we was both under the weather. And I'm glad you called that, man. Like I was gonna try to power through it, but it wouldn't have been as good. Yeah, and you know, I'm spreading germs around. There's enough out there. You that's know? a fact. Yeah. That's a fact. So, so yeah. we need to stay as healthy, brother, because we got work to do. Word. That's that's a fact. So yeah. it was gonna happen in due time, and that time is now. So um, Chuck, just really quickly tell the folks who you are, where you're from, and what brought you to Portland. Okay, uh, my name is Chuck Barber. I'm a percussionist, a writer, playwright, teacher. Um, I moved here in 2005 after Hurricane Katrina from New Orleans. Um, I, my mother was born in New Orleans. I'm born and bred in New Orleans. Um, I've got a son and daughter that live in New Orleans. I've got sisters and brother-in-laws and cousins, aunts, uncles, and all of that. I'm... You cut me, I'm gonna bleed red beans and rice. <laughs> so I ain't heard that one. That's the first time I heard that one, bro. Yeah, I'm 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 dyed in the wool, bro. Uh, so yeah, there there uh, actually after Hurricane Katrina, I rode out the storm there, and um, you stayed. I, yeah, I stayed. Wow. And uh, lost everything. Yeah. I mean, everything was was gone underwater, and mm. you know, it would be almost as though you left. 
to go do some errands and you come back home and your house is completely burned to the ground, car gone, clothes gone, whatever you had in the house is gone. Yeah, so, that's wild. I mean, that's a, you have the first-hand account and we don't get that often, man. Like, so what what was that day like when it when it went down, like you said, like what happened, man? Well, um Usually, living in New Orleans, usually all of the the storms always go to the Panhandle, always go to Biloxi, Gulfport, uh, Pensacola. Mm-hmm. So, you know, living in New Orleans, you know, almost 30 years, um, I never, I've probably evacuated twice. And that's only because I had girlfriends who were like, oh, we're going to die. Right, right, so, right. you know, but evacuation, <laughs> you know, if you evacuate even three days, you're going to spend like a grand, you know. I mean, that's rent money. That's, right. you know. So, and then we always know that, you know, the storm generally turns, doesn't really go. So, we usually just ride out with whatever little hurricanes that say they're coming. Yeah. But Katrina was different. Katrina was huge. Yeah. And it was huge, and we knew it was going to be, you know, impactful. We just didn't know how impactful it was going to be. And the night before it was supposed to hit, on the 29th, my sister said, turn on the TV. Mm. And the Weather Channel had a cloud that covered the enti- almost the entire Gulf of Mexico. Mm. And she was like, we should we should get out. But mm-hmm. by that now, the night before the storm's going to hit... There's only two ways out of New Orleans, and it's jam-packed. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know people, it took them 10 hours to go from New Orleans to Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. which is normally a 90-minute drive, yeah. you know? Yeah, That's um, kind of how it was when I was in Houston. I was telling you, like, Hurricane Rita came, like, a month right. yeah. after. Yeah. Maybe not even that long. Yeah. And so it took me from Houston to get to Austin, which is like a two-hour drive, it took me 13 hours. Boom. See? <laughs> so there I you know go. exactly what you're talking about as far yeah. as people being stuck on the freeway yeah. and all that stuff. And people ran out of gas. Yep. You know, people couldn't go anywhere. Cars broke down, yep. overheated. Yep. And there was a lot of people who died in their cars trying to escape the storm. I can imagine. But somebody in the know in New Orleans... Uh, part of like the the crews that the, the the fire and rescue crews that went around to look for survivors or dead bodies mm-hmm. said that the national guard were told that if they came upon anybody in the cars that that those figures didn't go into the city total of the dead. What do you mean? Yeah, so there was a lot of people because they weren't in the limits, weren't in the city limits. Yeah, they weren't in the city limits. So there was a lot of people. So that number of people who died in New Orleans, you could probably add a couple thousand to that Mm -hmm. uh, because they they weren't reported. This is yeah, this is just the the craziness that was Hurricane Katrina and and all the events surrounding it. Where yeah. and so you were in your house at the time? You just stayed home? <clears throat> no. What happened was uh, I lived kind of in a low-lying area, but I lived in an area, I lived in mid-city, and it wasn't supposed to flood. Mm-hmm. But because the storm was so huge, and at, at this point in time, we couldn't get out because mm-hmm. there was no way that we could jump in the car and get on the highway. We'd have, just, we'd have been stuck in the city limits for the next seven hours. Mm-hmm. It was just nuts. Yeah. Um, so we decided to ride it out. So... I took my like CPU and, and all my wooden drums because you know I'm a I have probably about 200 instruments 
you know, in, in my collection. Yeah. And so, but a lot of them were uh, Brazilian instruments because um, my forte is Brazilian samba, okay. uh, Afro-Brazilian music, Afro-Caribbean music. Word. And so I have a lot of congas and, and drums made out of wood. So not to take a chance on them getting soaked and cracking and breaking and tearing down. Mm -hmm. So we took those over to my sister's house who had a Victorian house. She had a second floor. Mm -hmm. And so we took everything put up on the second floor. She lived three blocks from the levee. So she lived where the, the area was kind of built up. Mm. Um, as you get closer to the levee, the land starts to elevate. Okay. Um, however, the storm, we were still kind of freaked out by the size of the storm. So we said, you know, just in case it does, you know, even get up to the second floor of your house, uh, about a block away was an old uh, brick building that was used during the Civil War as a hospital for the wounded uh, Confederate soldiers, and then later was turned into an orphanage. Oh, wow. And then it had survived Hurricane Camille and Bessie were like the two largest hurricanes before Katrina mm -hmm. that hit the United States and hit New Orleans and, you know, decimated a, a large uh, section of the city and, and took out some residents. So, um, so we locked up my sister's house and went down and checked into this um, brick building, which is now converted into a, a bed and breakfast. And so we got up on the third floor of that. And uh, uh, the storm started to hit really heavily. Uh, started coming on really strong about 10.30 in the morning, 11 o'clock. By 12 to 2, we were fully in it. Mm -hmm. um, it was almost as dark as night. Mm -hmm. um, all the windows of all the hotel rooms that are facing the Gulf of Mexico, the wind blew all of those out, all mm -hmm. those windows out. Yeah. So people just, you know took their mattresses off their beds and pulled them into the hallway. Mm. And then, in the middle of the storm, we had a door at the end of the hallway that looked out to a, a balcony uh, that overlooked the courtyard. Well, that, the hinges weren't on there really good, and so the hurricane kind of knocked the door off its hinges. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of tied it down, and since we didn't have any power, power was out, um, we just watched the storm through through the through the, the door opening, wow. and uh, you know we saw roofs come off houses. Uh, you could see um, from the side, you could see a little piece of the Superdome, and you could see that layers of the Superdome were being ripped off and mm -hmm. things like that. Trees coming down, and and then uh, about six thirty in the evening, it was all gone. Sun came out. Bling went back to being like seventy nine degrees. It was yeah. that quick. Just yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean it yeah. wasn't quick, but I'm just saying it because I, I think about a uh, Harvey, which just happened, and it seemed like it rained forever. Yeah, <laughs> over yeah. Houston. So I'm thinking if Harvey flooded Houston like that, Katrina must have sat and just. Now Katrina was a fast moving storm. Okay. I mean, okay. But it. In, in in its magnitude, it mm. dumps. It had such wind velocity, the wind and 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 rain yeah. and just everything. So it's yeah. category five, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, and the, but the thing was was the levees, though, right? Yeah. So Got what it. happened? So what happened was okay. And this is again with with uh, you're getting information from somebody who lived in it, a For city, sure. rode the storm out. 
knew people who lived all around the city. I know people who put their hand on a stack of Bibles that they heard an explosion right before they we started hearing the alarm about the levees going off. Wow. Yeah, and then that's that's going to be getting into a whole different thing. Word. Um, was it solely the water that broke the levee, or was it the force of this barge that now sits where homes once did? Joe Edwards says neither. People are so bitter, so disenfranchised in this neighborhood, they actually think the city did it, blowing up the levee to save richer neighborhoods like the French Quarter. So you're convinced? I noticed it happened. That they broke the levee on purpose. They blew it. All right, I'm here with two New Orleans residents who lived in the Ninth Ward at the time of Hurricane Katrina. Would you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Name's David Gonzalez. And Dixie Gonzalez. Okay, David and Dixie Gonzalez. Where did you reside on August 29, 2005? 816 Gordon Street, Lower Nine. So you were in the Lower Nine? Yes. So tell us, from your view, what did you basically experience uh, as Katrina came through it? Well, the 29th, the wind blew hard. Uh, it was sheets and sheets of rain and tree blew down. Oh, we couldn't get off the porch. We were stranded. So about the first night we were there, I, I'm hearing all these things go off on the levee, and I looked at the levee. I said, what are they doing? Shooting off firecrackers? He said, no, blowing up the levee. So you actually heard the explosion? Heard oh, and yeah. saw. And you saw it? I saw it. Yeah. Uh, a side note, sure. but still to this point, uh, Katrina was a land grab. And they did it under the cover of a storm. Hmm. There was a movie called Hard Rain. Hmm. Uh, and the movie uh, was about some bank robbers who mm -hmm. planned a bank robbery during a hurricane. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, again, they knew that all of the, um, the alarms were going to go off, all of the power was going to go down and stuff, and people would attribute all of that naturally to the hurricane, yeah. which would be a perfect opportunity for them to rob the bank. Mm -hmm. Katrina was a perfect opportunity for the people who, because you have to remember, wow. colonizers, now they, they play that long game, bro. You know, they play that long game. Mm -hmm. And so nobody really wanted to live in New Orleans. Uh, or, or nobody really wanted to build in New Orleans mm -hmm. because it was so, quote-unquote, poor and it wasn't upscale. And, you know, they weren't going to get the prices they were getting in other metropolitan areas. Right, okay? right. Uh, Donald Trump said he, you know, never would build in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And then after the storm and it got flooded and everybody had to move away and the land was just laying there. Mm -hmm. Here you had all these quote-unquote carpetbaggers coming from out of town with bags of money, just buying up blocks and blocks and throwing up multi-family units and had no intentions of living there. Right. Just land was cheaper, building costs were going to be cheaper, and so they became, you know, out-of-town landlords. Mm. And uh, so the place that I was living in... Uh, they didn't allow the residents to come back into the city of New Orleans. Uh, everything was, you know, um, a state of emergency mm -hmm. until that was, the levees broke on August the 30th, mm -hmm. the morning of August the 30th. Yeah. And they didn't allow people back into the city until about two weeks before Thanksgiving. Mm. 
So all that time you were out of the city, all that time your stuff was sitting in toxic waste, all of that time things were rotting and deteriorating and, and, you know, being ruined. Mm -hmm. And so um, my landlord called me up and said, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, you know, it's my stuff. I just like to pick through it. He said, there ain't much left. I was like, yeah, I know, but it's still mine. Mm -hmm. He said, all right. He said, or I can just push it all to the curb, you know. So I said, you know, it's my stuff. I want to pick through it. So he was right. It was there was very little, and you know, it was a lot of grief for all the things that you lose. Not so much, you know, the material stuff, but all your personal stuff. So where did you go? You went to Houston, or you so um, my two children and their mom went to a place called Leesville, which is right on the other side of Lake Charles, Louisiana. Okay. Going toward you, going yep. going toward Houston. Mm -hmm. In fact, we used to go drive to Houston. This is how crazy we were. The only IKEA around was in that Houston, and yeah, we yeah. used to drive all, all right. the way just to, go to, to Houston just to go to IKEA. <laughs> but we'd stock up. I yeah, mean, you know, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, because the, the the recovery center was literally right around the corner from my apartments. So, like when everybody came, like they were right down the street from me. And then I was at Texas Southern University, and saw a lot of kids from uh, was it is Dillard Dillard? In yeah. So yeah. Dillard and uh, man, the other school is, is Xavier. Xavier, yeah, yeah Xavier. Yeah. So they they came and they was sitting in our classes, right, and so right. we had their. So it was crazy, man, just just seeing everybody come, but like just knowing that they didn't have anything, and they were still trying to get connected to their families, and they came first through. They came down and. They took them to the, the Astrodome. Yeah, the Astrodome, right, right. And then they went from the Astrodome to the recovery center. That was around the corner from my house, and it was just, like, crazy. But I didn't realize that, I mean, they were there. They was at our school for a while, but I didn't realize that, yeah, they was there for, like, two months. They couldn't go back. Yeah. 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 So, I'm was, sorry. So, you were, you went, your, the wife and the kids? Yeah, they, they went to uh, a place called Leesville. So, I went with them, and... Um, Leesville, I mean, that, that part of uh, Louisiana is Arcadian. So, you know, they're still speaking they're speaking French in that part of the country. Oh. Arcadian French, you okay. know, but French. Is, sure. yeah. So, so French immersion, she was teaching French in school. Okay. So it was, she got a job almost immediately Instantly, while yeah. she was there. Mm -hmm. It was going, there didn't seem to be much for me in, yeah. in Leesville. Mm -hmm. So um, prior to... Katrina, that June, I uh, met uh, some people here from Portland and asked me to come up. And I mm -hmm. came up here, went to City Grill, went to Huber's, did all the tourist oh, stuff. Oh, they wind went out to the beach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Went to Mount Noma Falls, they all like that. The, yep, that's it. And so when Katrina happened, I had several people who offered me places like Tampa and Minneapolis and Tempe, Arizona and things like that. But... Mm -hmm. Uh, my friend at the time said, "Why don't you come on up here to Portland?" Mm -hmm. And you know, you know, the air is good and the water's clean and that kind of stuff. So she was right. And then she said the other point was, she said, "You know, there'll probably hardly be anybody who will come this far from New Orleans because mm -hmm. New Orleans is it has a big name, mm -hmm. but it's actually a very small city and it, and it's a family city. Mm -hmm. Like people could look at you weird at the store and they turn their head to the side." And say you look familiar do I know you it's like, I don't know the first thing they ask who your mama now mm -hmm. and then you tell them and they think oh man I went to school with your mama yeah. you know and so it, it's that kind of town for sure and so 
Well, it, you know, your mama's house is here in the middle of the block. And so when your sister buy a house, you buy a house two houses down from your mama. <laughs> right. Your brother buy a house across the street from your mama. Mm -hmm. You know, the other brother around the block from your mama. You know, so mm -hmm. it's, it's that kind of town. So after Katrina, most people had to evacuate to other cities. Right. You know, Houston, Dallas, uh, um, uh, Memphis, you know, Atlanta, you know, places like that. And then, but eventually they all, everybody wanted to go back home. Mm -hmm. um, and I tried it. I tried to go back home, but nothing was working. You mm -hmm. know, parts of the city were still, looked like nothing had happened. We're talking even three years out. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd go back and, you know, I'm holding up my phone, walking down the street trying to get a signal, mm -hmm. you know, and, and things like that. I mean, you I couldn't conduct business there. I couldn't, you know, you yeah, can't work. I, I remember them talking about like those FEMA trailers that were supposed to be given to people and that wasn't working out. Some know, of them still. didn't get them to two years later. So, and, and that's, and now to this day, like I'm looking at the Red Cross, like, yo, as a kid, I thought y'all was really doing stuff based upon the commercials. And then as an adult, I see stuff happen and all these people giving y'all money and I don't see nobody getting impacted by the Red Cross. So like, where's all this money going? Right. Who is it being dispersed to? Right. Because it right. sounds like the people in New Orleans, my people, the black people, when something happened to them, don't nothing get taken care of. Nope. Yeah. Same thing that happened with all the disasters. Look, look, look what happened with Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. You know, they almost disowned now. You sure. know, because yeah. they, you know, not even part of the United States. Right. You know, it's 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 the United States when they can use you. You got something they want. Right. You know, but. Like Hawaii, they wanted Hawaii. You know how they 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 got Hawaii? I don't even know. No. Yeah. United States put a gun to the Queen's head and made her sign over Hawaii to them. Wow. Short short. This is yeah. the 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 uh, Cliff Notes version. Word. But they put a gun to her head, mm -hmm. and then they said, and then you have to abdicate being a queen because we already have a president. We can't have a queen and a president. Wow. So. Yeah, we I've never done land. any studies on. Oh yeah, look into Hawaii. Look, look into that. Look into how they treated the Aboriginals in, in Australia. Oh yeah, I've, I've been doing research on that literally okay. within the past there's, couple there's, months. There's there's that's some, terrible. Man. I I love uh, I love the appeal of movies, and I, I like the fact that movie makers can tell the truth. And all they got to do is write a disclaimer and mm. say that it's fictional. But the, as soon as you see that, you know it's the, the truth. Cold, the cold you know? part about the, you know, uh, Australia and, and New Zealand and the Maoris, all those people, it's just like the way that they just paperwork them out of their land. Like for one, I mean, they're going to come take it by force and then they're just going to create these quote unquote contracts to say who's gonna own such and such land, it's like, oh, well, we took your land, but also this is how you can get your land. Right. You have to fill out this paperwork and you gotta do this and you gotta turn this in. So it's like, I gotta like read through all this stuff to get what was rightfully mine. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. But like, that's how they do everybody. It's called assimilation. Yeah. And they used to take the kids, just like they took the quote unquote Native Americans here, the descendants from the Mongolians, mm -hmm. and put them in white schools. Oh yeah, I'm, cut I'm their hair, mm -hmm. dress them up, you know, to assimilate, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So that way they're more palatable 
they don't make the Europeans, the colonizers, uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you see. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing they did. They even do this to us today. Oh, for sure. Like the sister who got fired for wearing the natural. Because yeah, it made to, white folks get uncomfortable. For sure. And, and then the, the little black boy that was wrestling and he had to cut his dress. Then they cut his dress off. And all that yeah. stuff. I don't know what happened to, um, I think the station manager who uh, fired that sister for going natural, I think he got fired too. Yeah. But, but they the, end up getting fired now because but, stuff goes viral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the, the referee who yeah. made the the brother cut his hair, he, he got fired too. Yeah. So anyway, um, so I I digress a little bit, and I'm sorry about that. No, it's all good. Um, <clears throat> so, um, that that whole story about uh, the Aboriginal. Right. Who was here first and things like that. Yeah. Again, they found an old skeletal remains that happened to be African. So how did Africa get here? Before we get into that, because I, I want you to dig into that for sure. I want to let the people know why you're here. Oh, for sure. Okay. So we are here because you and I met. We were on a, what was it? A, a committee for... Grant, well, a grant committee. Grant we're on a grant committee, committee yes, yes. and we got to talking. Yeah, and you know, you told me your story about being from New Orleans and all that. But then you asked me if I knew about the Black Mardi Gras Indians. Yes, and I said, brother, I've never heard about that in my life. Yes, and so before we get into the indigenous and, and the, the history of that, of who was here first in the Western Hemisphere, so-called Western Hemisphere, tell me about the Black Mardi Gras Indians. What's your relation to them? Just what do people need to know about them? Okay. Um, the, the history of the quote-unquote um, Native American mm -hmm. uh, has been whitewashed, like all other history here. For sure. Um, there are the Black Mardi Gras Indians... Again, Cliff Notes version of it. And there are tons of videos on YouTube. I have a, uh, I brought with me uh, this video called All on a Mardi Gras Day. Mm. Uh, this was done uh, some time ago. Um, and this is a really, really um, good video on the Black Mardi Gras Indians. It's called mm. All on a Mardi Gras Day. Mm. And uh, this is, I'm on my third copy because I keep lending them to people and I forget who I lend them to. <laughs> um, and then there's another one called Tootie's Last Suit um, about black Mardi Gras Indians. And I'll tell you who Tootie was, Allison Tootie Montana. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then my personal favorite, because it talks about what happened to the Mardi Gras Indians after Katrina, mm. about... Uh, all the people who had appreciation for the Mardi Gras Indians were now in the city. And so the Mardi Gras Indians came back to a bunch of people who were looking at them as though they were aliens from outer space. For sure. So, um, during the period of slavery, um, you never hear about the slaves who revolted. You never hear about the uprisings. You know, everything is just, you know, these pastoral scenes of slaves working out in the fields and the white man sitting on the porch drinking mint juleps and stuff. But 
No, there was there was a lot of uprisings. There was a lot of revolts. There was a lot of uh, you know revolutions uh, from Haiti, but even you know in the in the South, you know you hear about, about Tom Brown. You know, I mean, you know, uh, uh, John Brown, and then um, uh, you know all the all the other revolutions. Nat yeah, Nat Turner and all yeah. of them. Um, but. Uh, Africans were constantly running off from their plantation. And when they would run, um, they uh, a lot of times found themselves near uh, Indian settlements or Native American settlements. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them would run east. Uh, across through the swampy parts of Louisiana to Mississippi to, you know, places where it's very difficult for somebody to track them, mm -hmm. you know. And eventually they made their way into Florida and found their way to the Seminoles. Mm -hmm. Now, the Seminole Nation, uh, the term actually means runaway. The term Seminole actually means runaway. Um, and the Seminoles were part of uh, their first attempts by the colonizers to m make a indigenous uh, people their slaves, their servants. Mm. Um, a lot of them came to they didn't have any natural defenses against their diseases. Yeah. You know, um, then they also brought smallpox, and you know about the whole incidents about you know them trying to wipe out nations by giving them blankets, sure. which is a, a, a gesture of mercy, mm. and then hidden within there would be contaminated with smallpox yeah. to wipe them out. Yeah. So um, a lot of these Africans found their ways to the Indian nation, and the Indian nation, the, the, the Seminoles, Seminoles were black Seminoles, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Again, part of the aboriginals who were here prior to the Mongolian descendants mm -hmm who are the descendants that everybody now refers to as Native American. Right. <clears throat> but the discoveries of late have found that the skeletal remains of those people who are now called Native Americans, mm -hmm. who are descendants of the Mongolians from the steppes of Mongolia, uh, Siberia, that whole... Uh, area um, those skeletal remains still are younger than an African skeletal remain that they found in the Americas <coughs> on the border of Central and South America that is older than the Mongolian skeletal remains so the question is how did Africans get here before the Mongolians came mm. And we'll get into that. Yeah. But so because of that, mm -hmm. the Seminole Indians were part, part of the indigenous people of this land who were African. They're black Seminoles. And if you look that up, you'll find them, black Seminoles. Mm -hmm. um, and so they were taken in. And at that particular time, toward the end of the Civil War, and you start getting into Reconstruction and stuff like that, um, the only reason um, that the United States government stopped fighting the Indians, because if you remember back in history, the Indian Wars were going on prior to the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they even were kind of, in the beginning, were kind of running concurrently. Mm -hmm. But 
the, the the Union Army, who were the ones who were waging this war, to corral the Indians for the white settlers so that they wouldn't feel uncomfortable right. because there were natives out there yeah. and they wanted to settle these lands, so they wanted them all rounded up, yeah. which is what the Indian Wars are really all about. For sure. Um, so, um, during the, the Indian Wars, the Seminoles just retreated to the Everglades because it was dangerous in the Everglades mm -hmm. with gators and snakes and stuff. And, you know, the armies were like, okay, well... We've got them as far as we can, you know, mm, as we can push them. If we go into the Everglades, it's, you know, now mm. we're in, in peril. Mm. And so basically, the United States Army said, look, if you if you guys want to live in there, cool, have, have at it. We're not going to chase you. <laughs> right. Y'all like, can have that. And so have they, crocodiles yeah, the they were in the Everglades. Right. And so, side note, the Seminoles never really signed a treaty with the United States. So, in essence, they're still kind of at war. Mm. Um, but, you know, there have been some... Well, they, they've been taking, not take, taken care of, but they've been given certain benefits, though, right? Okay. Um, Monetarily. Yeah, which, again, um, creates this controversy among... The people, the people who gave you the narration about who was here first, because mm -hmm. the entitlement should go to the entitlements that they've been given to Native Americans sh should really go to the Aboriginal people of this land, mm -hmm. and so they've been taking it with their hands out, hoping that nobody else is going to step up and say, "Well, wait a minute, y'all are not really the real the first inhabitants here," because. Uh, we were already here. So, so now you have all these claims. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you have this test now where they're saying that, you know, well, in order to claim Aboriginal status, you have to prove that you're so much percentage of Native American. And I'm telling you, I have no ties with Native American because I was already here before they got here. Mm. You understand? That's where now the controversy is. So you when, because when they say Native American, you're talking about the more Siberian, yeah. or not Siberian, yeah. but Mo Mon Mongolian, Mongolian yeah. ancestors, ancestors, yeah. yeah, and they don't, yeah. and they don't want to acknowledge that there were people here we were before here before Columbus, right. like that that book. No, no, way, I no, mean, yeah, way before, before the Mo Mongolians yeah. and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're talking, yeah. So. Not to go too far off the path, but like I, what I'm trying to figure out at this point in time is like, when did the Mongolian style of Native American become prevalent, and when did the black Native, you know, super copper like the black Indian, when did that phase out? Okay. Well, again, so you're telling us who's telling the story? No, and, I'm no, but I'm, I'm saying though, like there are there. The only type of brown people or black people that I see that still rep the culture and still do what the natives or the indigenous people are doing are in New Orleans. Right, right. And, and there's a, a select few in Massachusetts. Right, right. But there are the Mongolian-style, quote-unquote, natives that supposedly weren't here first— 
they're carrying the tradition. Okay. So, so from what I can see, so limited view. Um, Africa. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you had you had um, Africans here prior who sailed here, and and sure. there's a book called Kantiki, and there's a book called Ra One and Ra Two, the Ra Expeditions. Okay. Um, and a a philosopher named Thor Heidel's hypothesis was that the reason that <clears throat> Egyptian culture and Mayan and Aztec culture look the same in terms of mummification, tombs and stuff is because they're the same people. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And those people sailed here from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the critics say, bull. And so... You know, he got up some uh, backers and used his own money and built, according to the specifications, a boat <coughs> of the same time around the, the boat made out of the same material that boats were made at the same time of his hypothesis mm-hmm. that they sailed here before anybody else, mm-hmm. before the Vikings, before anybody else. Mm-hmm. And the building material of the day was papyrus, which is paper, mm-hmm. okay? But we're talking about huge papyrus rolls, almost like palm trees. Yeah. 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 That, that, that fibrous wood is kind of in palm trees. Mm-hmm. And so he built a raft out of it and sailed it and almost made it from Egypt to Barbados. Mm. But it sank mm. in, in, a, in a storm in the Atlantic. Mm. And so you know, all of his critics said, aha, see, it's impossible. And he was like, no, I almost made it. So what I'm going to do is make another one. And oh, he didn't die. No. He just so the fir- yeah. So the first one was called Ra Ra One, mm-hmm. and he built another one called Ra Two. Ra from the sun god from mm-hmm. the Egyptian sun god. Yeah. Ra Two made it mm. all the way to Barbados, and he was like, "Booyah!" Yeah. See, yeah. this is how we got here. Right. And so at that period of time, the only way to get here from that part of the world was to sail because you know the the notion that you went up from Africa through the Middle East across the Russian steppes you know across the Bering Straits and and came down that way Mm -hmm. at that particular time that they were talking about there was a glacier that blocked that land bridge Mm -hmm. from you crossing the Bering Straits over here Mm -hmm. so if no animals and no hunters could come across the Bering Straits which is why the Mongolians came here to begin with because you're living in a frozen tundra nothing greens growing there Mm -hmm. all your food is walking you got to chase it and that's what hunters do following the migrating animals and but if the animals can't migrate because there's a glacier there then you can't get over into Alaska you can't get over into Canada you can't get into North America that way Mm -hmm. so how did people get here if they couldn't go across the land bridge they sailed you know, and all the proponents were saying, oh, you know, Africans are not great sailors. And, you know, again, who's White doing who, the narrative? Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so the Africans ran off where they were taken in by the Seminoles. And eventually, as they became uh, assimilated with the tribe and became part of the tribe, they too, you know, became. Uh, uh, um, 
um, as the chief and with intermarry and you know his daughter to an African stuff. Mm-hmm. You became part of the tribe. Now they find themselves in position of you know being the chief and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So now we're talking you know end of the Civil War, Reconstruction into you know <clears throat> into you know um, uh, Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. So that period of time, you know, now living on a nation, now you're having children, now you want your children to be educated, you want to have a better life, mm-hmm. better life is being offered to other people, so you come into town, you come into the closest town, you know, you come into New Orleans where they had a school specifically designed for African and Native American children mm-hmm. called Xavier, Xavier Prep, Xavier University, mm-hmm. okay? Um, started by the nuns. And so now you have an opportunity for your child to go to school. So you come into town. You find work in town, uh, you know, things like that. But you're still part of the nation, okay? Mm -hmm. So on Mardi Gras, you know, that's a European carnival uh, activity. So Mardi Gras, you said the foundation is European? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, um, Based from the Catholic um, pageantry of Lent. Mm. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> the word Mardi Gras actually means Fat Tuesday. Right. And so uh, one of the ways that the Catholic Church gets a foothold all around the world is they send out missionaries. Mm-hmm. And those missionaries convert people right. to Catholicism. Now part of that conver- uh, uh, conversion process means that every time I pass this basket around, you got to throw in is something of worth. You know, mm-hmm. and so you know, in a lot of communities, you know, they had no, they they didn't understand the monetary system, European monetary system. Mm-hmm. So the you know, but they had like a gold pendant around their neck, and so they were like, well, what's that? It's like it's a gold pendant. It's like okay, that'll do. Mm-hmm. And so you know, if you look at the Spain. One of the reasons they kept coming back here is because all of the gold that they found in the South and in Central America and stuff like that, you know. Um, And they were filling their coffers with it. I mean, in fact, you can go to the Native American Museum, part of the Smithsonian, and see that. They have a a part of their uh, presentation that's called Germs, Steel, and Guns, which is how they dominated and colonialized mm-hmm. the rest of the world mm-hmm. with those three things: steel, as in like swords, and, mm-hmm. you know, guns and germs. Mm-hmm. Okay, and in that Smithsonian, there's coffers, b- baskets full of uh, molded idols and, and gold and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, these Indians who are now, these Africans who are now mixed with Native American, <clears throat> came, would come into New Orleans on carnival. Mm-hmm. And the Europeans were like, no, this is, you know, kind of like our thing. There's no people of color in this anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but there now you had uh, indigenous, you had Native Americans living within the city limits. You had Africans living among the city limits who are now excluded from white carnival. So they used to go throughout their neighborhoods mm. parading yeah. in their African uh, attire, African drumming, or in their, their Native American attire. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And so, and those are all in the black areas, yeah. okay? Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, at the end of that particular day of carnival, um, as the, the Native Americans would go back to their villages, they would take, some of them would take some of their regalia off, their headdresses and things, and put those on some of the slaves and sneak them out of town. Mm. Yeah. And so, um, the... the and that was easy to do because everybody looked similar. Everybody looked similar. Right. You know, that, again, was kind of what I was explaining to you, the Indians... They're not red skin, they brown skin people. Okay, but that so that goes back to my question. Why is it if if that I know that was the case, um, but I just I'm trying to figure out to the degree because if we were the original like you go to Africa, you still see black people. Like you still see black copper copper colored or black. You still see them in abundance. Right. Why is it that when it comes to natives, indigenous in America we don't we have we haven't seen an abundance within the past 400 years you see what i'm saying like all we see and i know that history is tailored by the white man so we can't trust it but like we don't see it like i don't need white people to tell me that the original people of africa were black why can't we see that the indigenous people of, of the americas are black why do they look different why is there more mongolian influence than African influence when it comes to those people. African because they were too, because they're, we're talking centuries, okay? Mm-hmm. Also, Mongolian people or the descendants or their, their ancestors mm-hmm. lived in cold weather climate. Mm-hmm. We're from hot weather climate, mm-hmm. okay? So where is our migration? Are we gonna stop in Canada? Are we gonna still? Are we gonna keep going oh, further down till it gets warm? You so, know what I'm saying? Know, central, yeah. South, so that's Mexico, what, that Mexico area. Yeah, so that's Florida. what happened. Yeah. Okay. And <clears throat> those people don't look like us, to my knowledge. But okay. I haven't I haven't been there. But, okay. but. Um, you'd be surprised. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with the term OMAC? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, those Olmec heads were found in Yucatan. For sure. And those Olmec heads had African features. Wide noses, big lips, ringlets on their heads. Mm -hmm. Little rings all on your head. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you don't comb your hair for a couple of days, you're going to get some ringlets on your head too. Yeah, for sure. You know, so, and those heads predated a lot of the quote-unquote Mongolian artifacts that they found here. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I believe that. And and you know a lot of people. There's a lot of different terms. A lot of people use Asiatic, you know, mm-hmm. for us for our uh, indigenous status mm-hmm. here and things like that. So, um, but you know, this is the the internet helped to shed the light on our claims of uh, being the the original indigenous people here. So did you we know. just get reclassified as black? We got reclassified every other every other week. They were giving us a different a new, name. A new name, colored, colored Negro, <laughs> yeah, Negro, black, yeah, yeah, all American, all right. that. Which so, so, mean the, anything. so the indigenous person, the darker you were, the more likely you were to be reclassified 
as black and not and not given the same rights as the Mongolian fair skinned looking is yeah. that, is that look um it flies in the face or it goes against the teachings of the colonizers in terms of the Catholic Church um Remember that's King James's version of the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this twenty-six book, this twenty-six books that weren't even included. They were in there at one time. They got taken out. Mm-hmm. So, who made that decision that these books are irrelevant when they were all part of the the, the discovery? When the you know um, the, the original uh, manuscripts were 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 printed. Mm-hmm. Who decided that these 26 books don't belong in there? You know what I'm saying? So now you start making your version of the Bible mm-hmm. and start giving that to people, you know. Mm-hmm. So you really can't trust that that perspective, that that narrative mm-hmm. because it's full of lies and contradictions and okay. So <clears throat> The, the money allocation uh, to, you know, there's basically guilt by the United States government of what they did to the quote-unquote people who were already here when they came here, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, just think of, okay, and they've done pretty good at their attempt to heal their guilt by providing these nations mm-hmm. with land, you know, they can build casinos, they get breaks on their taxes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the that rivalry, that conflict uh does not specifically apply to quote-unquote Native Americans, but it does apply to Africans. It does apply to um, the tribes of Benjamin and tribes of Judah. It, mm. it does... It, see what I'm saying? It, 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 a lot me, of that applies me, to... Tell me why you say that. The original house. Well, you know, there were 12 tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book called Lost Tribes and Promised Lands no Out of Egypt with Ships Mm, okay which will kind of clarify what happened with the tribes of Israel and and um, now you get into spirituality as opposed to religion Mm mm-hmm and the two things are separate. The, the the indigenous people of this land, indigenous people of Africa, have always been spiritual people. Okay, now it's not a religion. I mean, you can call it whatever you want. Their spirituality was between them and their creator. For sure. You know. Mm-hmm. Now you got all these other labels uh, that have come in later on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the advent of white Jesus, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, uh, but again... Oh, so you're saying Jesus wasn't white. Is that what you're saying? 
I'm just joking. I know he wasn't white. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, again, I, I mean, I don't. You know, we it'll take us in a lot of different directions if we start going. Yeah. Well, no, let's then, let's stick know. with out yeah. of Egypt. Yeah. Which but 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 you're right. He wasn't white for sure. You know, because sure. the angel told Mary, take take or, or supposedly came to Joseph and Mary mm-hmm. and said, mm-hmm. take your wife and child and go hide in Egypt. In Egypt. Yeah. And it, and I've been to Egypt and and. They're as dark as we are, brother. Oh, yeah. You know? No doubt. So you that. can't hide a white-skinned person, blonde hair, blue eyes, in a dark-skinned country where people have brown eyes and dark skin and nappy hair. Come yeah. on. I get, you know? it. I get So, it. yeah. So, all right. So, um, so the Indians, again, uh, the Mardi Gras Indians, black Mardi Gras Indians, are the descendants of those indigenous people who are already here, mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you look at the majority of all of the research on the Seminoles, you'll see that in a lot of cases they're referred to as the black Seminoles. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Seminole. I hear Dr. Claude Anderson <coughs> talk about them a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but which I'm Choctaw, uh, and, I, and my dad's Blackfoot, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so... Um, but again, these were the quote unquote um, Native Americans who inhabited that region of the world when they came here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, again, a lot of evidence of us are further south. Okay. So you're talking Central and South America? Yeah. Okay. Garafana, um, uh, Olmec, mm-hmm. which, again, the Cliff Notes version of that kind of stands for Old Mexican. Mm-hmm. means like the original Mexican. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, look, go type in black Mexican, see what pops up, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, again, all of the evidence due to the internet now is all being revealed. Mm-hmm. The stuff that's been hidden from us from years and years. <clears throat> you you mentioned black Jesus. You go to the Vatican. Mm-hmm. You go in the Basilica. First thing you see is black Madonna and black Jesus. Sure. They know. Yeah, they know. They know. Yeah. See, but it's telling. It's the retelling of the story. Mm-hmm. You see, and and we're talking about immigrants. We're talking about uneducated immigrants. We're talking about potato farmers, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people who got in trouble or being persecuted for their religion or or people they let out of jail. This country was founded by the European founders of this country were thugs mm-hmm. and criminals and people running away from stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, basically. Same with Australia. Well, Australia, they sent yeah, their prisoners. They were prisoners. Yeah, yeah, they, sent yeah prisoners. they sent their prisoners there. Yeah. So this country was started by the brightest <laughs> and the best. For sure. Come on. Yeah. You know, so again... Who's telling the story? Right. Who's telling the story? Right. So, <clears throat> um, in 2005, I was uh, part of one of the oldest Mardi Gras Indian gangs in New Orleans mm-hmm. called the Northside Skull and Bones Gang. Mm-hmm. Northside Skull and Bones Gang, we are um, a, a group of Africans who come from many different parts of the diaspora. Okay. 
uh, particularly those who have a day of reverence for your ancestors, um, like Getty in Haiti, or Los Dias de los Muertos in, in Mexico, mm -hmm. and all throughout other Spanish, Portuguese, um, Indian cultures, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Asian cultures have a day out in which they honor their dead with like with with prayers and, and incense and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, one of the best days to come out to get the message across to honor your dead was Mardi Gras Day mm -hmm. when everybody is costuming. Mm -hmm. And so, the representation of the dead is skull and bones because they're no longer with us. Mm -hmm. However. In our culture, and in the, the quote-unquote Native American culture, they also understand that <clears throat> your spirit can stay with you as a guide, as a protector. Mm -hmm. um, Africans, same way. Mm -hmm. You know, you a lot of people have altars in their homes to their ancestors mm -hmm. and Alegua and you know and and you know Oshun, Ogun, you know, mm -hmm. from the Yoruba from the Yoruba religion for West Africa, from Nigeria. Right. And um, so, you know, I tell my kids all the time, don't put me in a box. Don't put my, don't lock my spirit in a box. In a mm. box you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, so <clears throat> again on Mardi Gras Day, Northside Skull and Bones Gang is a gang which is the representation of that part of Indigenous people's culture that they remember the dead, mm -hmm. and we dress up in skull and bones. We're the first one out on Mardi Gras Day, mm -hmm. knocking on people's door to remind them several things. One, always remember your ancestors, because if you see me, you see my father, you see his father, you see his father before him, and on and on and on. I am the embodiment. So as long as I survive, they mm -hmm. survive. They are always here with us. That's real. That white chromosome don't change. Right, mm -hmm. right. And I am the culmination of my ancestors hopes and dreams mm -hmm. which is why I should honor that yeah you know uh, and I ain't honoring that by wearing my pants around my ankles mm. interesting I'm a king I'm a prince that's what's up for right sure. yeah I'm the I am the descendant of kings and queens mm. that's no way for a king and queen to dress or to that's no way for him that's no approach for him to have when addressing a young maiden or a young princess or a young queen yeah. with your pants around your ankles. That your only worth is in your genitals and not where it should be and that's in between your ears. Mm -hmm. See, we, yeah. we, I always say that <clears throat> when our people's consciousness comes up, their pants will come up. That's a fact. So, And also when when we know who we are yes. and, and, and that part of that consciousness and knowing who we are is like I feel like as as a man as a father someone who was unfortunately now I'm fortunate to grow up in a household with my father but like me just as a young boy growing up into a man always knowing who I am because I know who my dad is and I even know who I am even more now that I'm a father Cause I see I'm doing things that my father did and 
I'm passing that down to my son or the things that he did that I was like, yo, that I knew as a kid I wasn't right. Now I can correct it and be like the better version of, of yeah, my grandfather absolutely. and my father. So I am, I should be an elevated version of my line, my, my lineage. And then my son should be better than me. Like all of that, like we should be on the, the best version of ourselves. Of ourselves. The next generation the next should generation. be a better version of ourselves. But unfortunately, we've taken steps back because a lot of black boys don't know their fathers yeah. and so if you don't know who your father you don't know who you are right. and so you're trying to find your identity in certain things and you just see a dude on a corner sagging his pants and he the dude that got the most money because he's selling the most drugs and he got all the girls well, I'm going to do what he does and that just brings us all down as much as we don't want to admit right. it right. it brings right. us down right. absolutely <laughs> we don't yeah. we're not we're not who we should be right. because we're following things and trends that have nothing to do with who we were right. and who we really right. are right. I was on the bus one time and I was sitting next to a sister and a white lady. And this kid got on the bus. His pants were down around his junk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was strap hanging. Mm -hmm. And he's, his butt was right in this white lady's face. Oh, man. And, you know, finally I just had to say, yo, brother, you know, pull your pants up, man. Your butt's right in this lady's face. And he turned around and said, oh, you know, oh, my bad, my bad. And he pulled him a half-hearted attempt to pull him up, but he got off the bus anyway. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, the, the, the sister said, I'm glad you said something. And the white lady said, oh, I didn't say anything because I thought that was their culture. Mm. <laughs> she thought she was being nice. <clears throat> well, so, so again, unfortunately, is. this is where we are. It is our culture. This, this we, can't, is, we can't divorce ourselves. Unfortunately, I know I did it. Was, even though I had my dad, like I, I did it for a time, you know. And so I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody else. So that is our culture. Yeah, it has become. It has, has become, become our culture. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so black Mardi Gras Indians, Northside Skull and Bones game. We come out on Mardi Gras Day. To remind people of their ancestors, also to remind people that we're fragile individuals. Uh, we, we look tough and that kind of stuff, but a little germ could take us out. A little mm. thing like cancer can take us out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could be 300 pounds and like, you know, 290 pounds of muscle, mm. you know, and you can get cancer, something that you can't even see, mm -hmm. and it will take you out. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I've known some people who were like 400 pounds to go to visit them in the hospital. They're like 98 pounds. They wasted away to almost nothing. You know, so life is fragile. Take care of it. And you want to eat well and take care of yourself because if you don't, you know, if you think you are invincible and you drink copious amounts of alcohol or do copious amounts of drugs and stuff like that, by the end of the day, just because it's Mardi Gras and you partying, you could actually kill yourself and wind up looking like us, mm -hmm. skull and bumps, right? <laughs> That's a yeah. yeah. So party in moderation, you know, and then also understand that <clears throat> you are not who people are, said you are. Mm -hmm. You're greater than that, sure. you know. And you need to understand your greatness and be able to step out on it. And Mardi Gras Day, that's what we do. We're no longer what you know people have have relegated us to. Mm -hmm. You know, illiterate or you know a, a, a thief or a criminal or you know. And and people don't even understand. Even white people don't even understand how they have this inherent fear of black people. Mm. And do you know where it came from? Well. I don't know where it came from. I've heard certain 
people pontificate about it. Uh, the, th- the main thing that comes to mind when you ask me that question is Dr. Francis Cress Wilson. And so what she says is genetic annihilation. Okay. Why people are scared of genetic annihilation. Okay. Yes. Okay. However, or and, mm-hmm. it was a phenomenon in this country. And which I'm talking about the, the mindset that developed in this country. Um, you know, there was a long period of time white people didn't even refer to themselves as white people mm. you know um, in this country uh, it was Thomas Edison who gets credit for mm. that invention mm-hmm. of the motion picture but it was actually uh, a black man who um Created the process of uh, the 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 processing of uh, movie film. Okay. And um, when the motion picture industry started, it was a fledgling industry, mm-hmm. and they didn't really know how this movie thing was going to work out you know uh, again it was all silent movies mm-hmm. and you know you'd have to have a piano player and he'd have to be good because again he was interpreting what was going on in the screen and they had never done really movies before so you know a lot of directors they didn't really know what they were doing I mean you know they were trying to tell a story but not, not ever having done it before they didn't really know how it was done and so not a lot of movies were being made in the beginning, you know, because uh, it was all experimentation. But in 1918, you had a movie that was made uh, called Birth of a Nation. Yeah. And, and the other title of it, the original title was called The Klansman. <laughs> and... Again, this movie was made by colonizers who had that uh, that irrational fear that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were prejudiced. They were racist. Um, probably, uh, you know, a, a lot of... In order to, to get rid of the guilt and justify their position on white over black and, and superiority. They want to go back to the Bible and talk about Ham's descendants mm-hmm. and you know and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, which if you want to use the Bible to justify your position, you could probably find any passage in the Bible to justify you can your use position. Use that book to prove for, anything for you want. anything you want. Yeah. Exactly. So erroneously, they were using that to justify their position of white superiority and, and black inferiority. So, uh, and you know, the most inherent fear that the white man had is the black man taking the white woman. You know, um, you know, all, you know, the our pride of purity, our purity of pride, or, or whatever. Uh, you're going to defile that. Mm-hmm. And so that that in his biggest fear, 
And so that particular person became the director of this film called Birth of a Nation. And everybody needs to, you know, all, everything that I've been saying, don't take my word for it, please. you got to go research it yourself. Um, I've, I'm just one of those people that need intel. I just need information. Likewise. Yeah, and mm -hmm. so I researched it myself. So you have this person who wants to propagate this idea of white superiority and was probably affiliated with the Klan. Okay. Now I use terms like probably and maybe because again, it's one person's word against somebody else's. Sure. You know, yeah. unless you were actually they are flying the wall, you you don't know. Right. But you know, um, based on the evidence, mm -hmm. uh, more proof proves this point out right. to be true. And so he made this movie called The Klansman or Birth of a Nation where after the Civil War during Reconstruction, the plantation owner were forced to let their Africans go. And now that they're free. But their fear was that once they were free, they were just, for all of the things that were done to them, under the guise of slavery, all the cruelty and the brutality and stuff, mm -hmm. that would be revisited upon white people mm -hmm. in retribution. Mm -hmm. They couldn't sleep at night for mm -hmm. thinking, oh my God, what happens if Rufus gets out? Back. Yeah, yeah. What, what happens if he ever gets out? Or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's mm -hmm. going to come back on us. And the other thing about, well, look, you know, and then they're going to start, you know, raping our women and start having zebra babies and then, you know. Zebra babies. Yeah, and then, and then you know, the, the race is done. Right. And so they, they it, it's interesting that in the movie they did hire uh, black actors to play the mammies and, and the house servants and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the, 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 Antagonist, the person that they wanted to to make this villain was a white man that they put in blackface, yeah. and they let him. Um, they, they gave you the impression that you know he was out, you know, sneaking in people's houses and raping white women and mm -hmm. taking advantage of them and mm -hmm. things like that, and that the only person, you know, the only people who could do anything against this scourge was the Klansman because he stood up for white value and, <laughs> and you know, white prosperity and, sure. and you know, yeah. he was the protector and, you know, the rest of the movie is him convincing other white men that this is what they need to do but they need to keep their identity secret, you know, because they, you know, they were like superheroes and they didn't want people to know their identity because so they were doing the, some heinous stuff. So, yes, yeah, so their cape. They put their cape, yeah, <laughs> put their hood and their cape on and wrote through the night and wound up, you know, being the 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 victors or the champions of of uh, of moral purity in America, mm -hmm. and that particular film was one of the first films made, and mm -hmm. so that film was shown 
over and over and over again. Even though they were making other films. Mm -hmm. You know how long old films play in the movie's house now, you know. Mm -hmm. So when you only have two films or three films being made a year, you know, that one film is going to be shown over and over. You may see that film 12 times. Yeah, so they were just indoctrinating people with that. They was indoctrinating people with that. And then... The, the the father would take the son to go see the movie and sit down and say, okay, son, see, here's the champion and this guy's standing up for us and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And then that son gets older, that movie's still being played because now we're talking in the 30s, you know, another generation is coming up. Now they're taking their son to go see. Here's my dad took me to go see this movie. I'm taking you to go see. See, this is what we have to protect against. We have to protect your mom again. Have to protect your sister against mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's that indoctrination, that inculcation right there in the beginning is where that genesis of whites fearing blacks came from. Mm-hmm. And that story just kept getting retold and retold yeah, that and was, retold. That was a big part of the, uh, the 13th documentary. Like That was one of the foundational stories. Right. Uh, of course, like, you know, the, the policing system was basically like people... Um, catching slave catchers. Now we're going to turn them into yeah plantation actors. police. Exactly, that's exactly. And so patty rollers. Um, yeah, and yeah. so that was like the beginning of everything. And you know, Thirteenth Amendment had the loophole, put them in jail, and they're still slaves. And, and then there was that movie, and that just like kind of reinforced stereotypes and all that type of stuff. So that kind of laid another layer of foundation of all right. Now everyone, even the common man, not just the people in power, they think the same way as the ultra white supremacist thing, right, you know? Right, so it just create right. another smaller versions of white supremacy and more subtle versions of white supremacy just to be spread, so. And in order to understand how deep this goes down the rabbit hole, mm-hmm. I encourage all your listeners to go on YouTube and look at the original version of Birth of a Nation. It's it's in its entirety mm-hmm. on YouTube. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's an hour... No, it's like three hours. Oh my god! I don't yeah, know if I can yeah. sit through that. Yeah, bro. yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. You have, you have to break it up. Yeah, uh, it's about three hours long. But yeah, see again, was... this is how, this is how thorough the indoctrination was. Oh, I mean, sure. you sit through a three-hour movie, yeah. and it's like it's almost a part of your life now. You yeah, know? and that's the only movie and, out for sure. Yeah, and and again, so if you build a house wrong. If the house is wrong, if you build a house crooked, you build a house on a slant, your house is on a slant. And the only way to, to fix it is to tear the house down and chew up the foundation, and then you can raise a house up correctly. Mm-hmm. Well, the house was built on a lie. For sure. The house in the United States as a house was built on a lie. Mm-hmm. And so everything was, you know. It's all lies so, and Yeah, propaganda. it's all lies. <clears throat> it's all lies. Yeah. 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 Well, to so to rally back to to be clear, because I I still don't think I have a grasp on the term. So the term Black Mardi Gras Indian is that just an an outgrowth of Seminole Indians that migrated to New Orleans? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, Seminole, Cree, Choctaw. Mm-hmm. There were Seminoles weren't the only ones that took in runaways. Mm-hmm. Okay. So other Indian nations took in runaways too. Mm -hmm. And so now in New Orleans, what you have is that you have descendants from all these different Mm. tribes. Okay. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and they gave themselves uh, different names than their original um, tribe. Okay. Uh, so, like Choctaw might be, you know, um, uh, Choctaw Nation or the, or or um, you could take an icon from the Choctaw Nation, like Flaming Arrows mm-hmm. or Wild Chapatulas. Chapatulas is is an Indian from that region of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. They call themselves Wild Chapatula. That's just giving homage to the Chapatulas and they changed the names instead of calling themselves, now they call themselves the Wild Chapatulas. Pocahontas, you know, uh, you got uptown Indians, you got downtown Indians, you know, you got front of town Indians, you got back of town Indians. Um, So you have now, today in New Orleans, we call ourselves Black Mardi Gras Indians because we're black Indians, Mm -hmm. okay, or black descendants of the mixture of African Mm -hmm. and Native American. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry. And, um, uh, and, and we come out on Mardi Gras Day because everybody is celebrating their heritage or celebrating their costume on mm-hmm. Mardi Gras Day. Mm-hmm. And so that's the day that we come out. And again, they didn't really allow Africans to participate in white carnival. So we were part of the celebration in the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was... Uh, African Indian uh, offsprings giving homage to those who gave us sanctuary uh, uh, and protected us during those periods of times when you know we were being chased and we were uh, expected to stay on the plantation and, and you know and things like that. Mm. So we come out on Mardi Gras Day, Word. but we are the descendants of the mixture between these two. People, people in, indigenous people. Yeah, yeah, here. Both indigenous. Both indigenous. Both indigenous. People. indigenous. Yeah. So, to to wrap this up a little bit, and but also go a little bit to the right. What would you say is like, as far as all of the so-called black people in America, uh, Central America, South America. <clears throat> As of today, I know it's kind of hard to pontificate, but like what percentage would you say is truly indigenous versus those that actually came through the transatlantic slave trade? Like, is there. Okay. Because right now, I think the common knowledge is. The common narrative. The common narrative, yes. The common narrative is, you know, 90, 95% of people that are so called black or, you know, have black or brown skin that have that African phenotype. Um, they came through the transatlantic slave trade, right. which but, is not. But true. how much? Like, how would you kind of break that up? And, and well, again, uh, with the latest research, mm-hmm. um, you're gonna get pros and cons. People just they you just gotta really search. Mm-hmm. Um, 
um, they came before Columbus. It's one I love that book. I still yeah. haven't yeah. cracked. I don't even have it, but I. It's like on one of my. It's on my wish list on Amazon. The I need People's to History of the United States. Okay. Um. Um. There. Uh. The, oh, the book on Olmec. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ra Expedition, uh, Ra 1 and 2. Uh, Kantiki. Kantiki was also Thor Heidal in his uh, hypothesis about how the Africans got to Australia, how they got to Indonesia, how they got to Polynesia. <clears throat> so that's another uh, one of his uh, expeditions to the Pacific. Um, South Pacific. Mm. Um, and though all of these are great books in terms of understanding how it was possible for these people to predate the quote-unquote Aboriginal people that have been identified by Europeans today. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, that knowledge is flawed. Yeah. You know? And that knowledge has a specific purpose. Um, almost... Um, the difference between Rand McNally's map and Peter's map of the world. Mm. How they show Africa in its correct proportions and how it shows Africa in the proportions uh, that were drawn up by like Rand McNally mm. or any of the colonizers um, uh, map of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, They want to show Africa as this tiny little place. Mm-hmm. When Peter's map, you can actually fit South America and North America into Africa. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. The landmass was so great. Mm-hmm. So again, that the lie is as old as history. I mean, as old as you know, a, a man's history on the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're trying to do, or what I'm trying to do, is to help uh, our people understand our true history in terms of our place in the timeline mm. of people who were here in the Americas when we came here. Uh, only 12% of the Africans were taken in that 200 and uh, almost 280 year period of time mm. in the transatlantic slave trade. Mm. Only 12%. 12% of They're saying less than 12% of the total population of the African population oh, in, okay. in the Americas. Yeah. Yeah. Only 12% of us were brought over to in the, the Americas. Because most of them went to, to South America. To the Transatlantics. No. In the, in the 200, in the period of time that they were transporting Africans here from Africa. Mm-hmm. Or in the, so in the triangular trade. of Africans or only 12% of the Africans were brought here? Only 12% of the African continent. Of the melanated people mm-hmm. who are here in this land, mm-hmm. only 12% of their ancestors came from Africa in that 280-year period of time. Mm. Yeah. The rest of us were already are descendants of people who are already here. Mm-hmm. And they just got reclassified. Yes, because... Because they, they didn't get the native classification. No, because, yeah, right. Now, how much more money... Oh, of they course. they were they were they were almost successful in exterminating the quote unquote Native American. Mm-hmm. So the payout numbers for their guilt to what they did to the quote unquote 
Native Americans. Mm -hmm. It's much less than the payout that they would have to pay out if they had to um, if they had to pay the real indigenous sure. people yeah. of this land. Yeah. yeah. How many more millions or billions of dollars would that be? Billions for sure. Yeah. 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 And they owe even so even if you're the true indigenous or, you know, the descendant of a slave, like, yo, you still owe us. Right. <laughs> we right. still haven't got our reparations from from those times. Right. And and you know, to guard against themselves, they 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 enacted what they called the Black Codes mm -hmm. in Louisiana, which one of them said that you couldn't marry uh, anybody of color, couldn't marry anybody that was not a person of color, couldn't marry any European. Mm -hmm. and the other one said that <clears throat> no African could wear feathers mm. like the quote unquote Native American. Mm -hmm. um, Amongst other and then, and then again, look up the black codes, <clears throat> uh, read them for yourself so that you can understand what they all mean and, and what impact that has on assimilation. Mm -hmm. Us assimilating with other people of color, not our assimilation with them, mm -hmm. because <clears throat> that assimilation was to quote unquote civilize us. Mm -hmm. That you know making the Native American boys and girls dress like Europeans, cut their hair, same thing they did to the the aboriginals of Australia. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and again, the assimilation here, uh, the forced assimilation in terms of like intercourse, so now you have all the light-skinned, you know, Africans who are you know, working in the house, mm -hmm. and the darker skin ones who are working outside of the house. Right. You know, mm -hmm. um, so the ones that were assimilated were the ones who were given the opportunities and the education for them to um, further to enhance keep, their worth. Right, to keep things going. But, for, but for them, for again, them. you have to remember they are investment. Every yeah. African walking in the South was somebody's investment. Right. Somebody had paid for that. And if but you, I will say, though. <clears throat> unless you were freedmen. I was going to say, in, in New Orleans, in Louisiana, it was, it was free Africans you, walking around you, in the 1700s. You, you had some freedmen. Right, exactly. So that was like you the did. first place where it was like a true melting pot of life. It, it seemed like the French weren't as hard as the British. Well, I, don't, I don't know, but I'm just saying, just because in Louisiana, especially New Orleans, like they have free Africans just like, and that wasn't a big deal. Yeah, they they, they took a, a slightly different approach. Right. Uh, the Spanish It's all had, bad, but I'm just... Yeah, yeah, Spanish had a slightly different approach. The yeah. Portuguese had a slightly different approach. Yeah. But that, again, to, to your point, I was going to say the same thing. It's all it's bad. All, it's all, it's bad. all bad. Yeah, man. You know, they, anytime, they weren't rescuing nobody. Enough. Yeah, anytime you take a person and you tell them that they are not a human being, that they're yeah. property, yeah. it's all bad. Yeah, it's all bad. Um, however, nobody just sat there and took it. You know, yeah. uh, again, there were tons of unrecorded revolutions and revolts and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, runaway situations. And so as uh, 
North Side Skull and Bone Gang uh, in in 2009, uh, in 2005, after centuries of participation and decades of of having you know numerous members uh, to represent our part of the culture, um, this this group of individuals who went around uh, reminding people to honor their ancestors you know at every occasion Mm -hmm. to um, watch how they lived make sure that they lived in moderation you know and to do things that would guarantee that you know they could uh, pass on the lessons to the next generation Mm -hmm. that they were still here and that the 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 next generation uh, got those lessons so in, in a sense you were kind of like a guardian yeah. of the culture mm-hmm. okay and we chose to do that Northside Skull and Bones saying chose to do that as the avatars of other civilizations who choose a day in which they honor their their ancestors and dead and they do that in a way of skeletons right. okay and so we come out early Mardi Gras day we hit the streets 5.30 in the morning, knocking on doors, mm-hmm. tell people to wake up. It's Mardi Gras day. You know, be good. We uh, go by and talk to the little boys and girls and make sure they're doing good. And, you know, mind their mama. Otherwise, we're going to come and get you tonight. Word. You know, yeah, yeah you, you, you put a little bit of fear in them. Yeah. Um, they'll tell you, a lot of the older residents will tell you, they used to call us skeletons. Mm. They're like, Lord, when the skeletons come out, <laughs> we'd run and hide under the bed. And, mm-hmm. you know. and so, um, Northside Skull and Bone Gang is just one gang in all the nations, but there are at least 50 different uh, Mardi Gras Indian tribes now in New Orleans who all come out on Mardi Gras Day mm-hmm. and from different parts of the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, the history was kind of a, a violent history mm-hmm. uh, because just like how it, regular Indian nations had beefs with each other mm-hmm. and sometimes would settle it, you know, would go into war mm-hmm. with tomahawks and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, on Mardi Gras Day, a lot of these black Indian uh, tribes around the city would have beefs with other Indian tribes, and on Mardi Gras Day, they would settle their, their beefs, mm-hmm. and it's sometimes in a very violent way. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of mothers were afraid to have their children dress out, or what we call mask, mm-hmm. for Mardi Gras Day, hoping that they didn't run into another Indian tribe because they didn't want any bloodshed. Mm-hmm. And they would bring hatchets and knives and shotguns and mm-hmm. things like that. It, it, got, it got pretty scary for a while. And uh, this person that I told you, uh, Tootie's Last Suit, one of the the, the, uh, videos I told you that that, um, uh, described what the Indian culture was about, Tootie, uh, Allison Tootie Montana, was a man who had been in several different Indian tribes. Mm -hmm. And as he progressed through the ranks, um, and you know sometimes there would be some disagreements in in the tribe themselves, and so you branch out and maybe start your own tribe, you know. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that went on in New Orleans, where somebody started out in one tribe and started their own tribe here. Mm-hmm. Well, he was uh, Tutti was part of Northside Skull and Bones gang in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then his father um, became part of what eventually became um, Yellow Pocahontas. And he became 
uh, a member of Yellow Pocahontas. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, he said, this is crazy that we dress up, and, but we actually kill each other, you know, when actually we, this is a day to show our pride, you know. Word. And, and, and the, you know, this is not the day to settle scores. This is the day to show what we're made of, what our heritage is, our mm -hmm. culture, where we come from, you know, and show this to, to the younger generation because they're out there on Mardi Gras Day, you know, with eyes full of wonder and merriment, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it shouldn't be a day of death. It should be a day of pride. Yeah. And so he made a statement and said, you know what? He said, instead of fighting with the, with the knife and the gun, we're going to fight with the needle and the thread. In other words, what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge everybody. He said, I'm going to make an Indian suit that's going to be so magnificent mm -hmm. that I'm, you're going to naturally, when you see me, you're just going to have to bow down and say, you're the greatest. Mm -hmm. You're the chief of all chiefs. Word. And so true to his word, he made uh, an Indian suit unlike the old Indian suits that we, we uh, associate with the Indians, with the headdress and, and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. He made a totally different Indian dress. Um, he used larger feathers, and he used a lot of beadwork. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the beadwork he did was from the African style of beading, mm -hmm. where Africans tell stories with their beads, mm -hmm. and the Indians do geometric shapes. Mm -hmm. Okay, And so he actually did beadwork where he told the story. Um, and then he made a crown. His headpiece was actually so big, he couldn't get it through the door. Mm. And so what he did was he put on, he made an Indian suit, you know, with sleeves and moccasins and that covered in feathers. And so he actually walked outside and they took his crown and they lowered it from the balcony on the second mm. floor onto his head. That's and nice. that was like the coronating of the king, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that became the first one. And so when all the other Indians looked like their old costumes of old, of the wow wow, mm -hmm. he was, was magnificent. And his studio, you could see his above anybody else's. So he leveled up the costume and the, game. And that's, that's exactly what he yeah, did. And so dope. from then on, all the other Indian tribes said, I'm a beat to it this year. I'm going to come out with a costume. And so they cha he changed the game Word. from being, you know, this, this very violent activity to something where now people were coming out to show their skills, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. their mastery of the needle and thread and, and, and the glue gun and, mm -hmm. you know, all this kind of stuff. And to this day, everybody says, even though Tutti is passed on, mm -hmm. he died what we call on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. And after Katrina, a lot of the, they had new hires in the police department, and a lot of the new police didn't really understand Indian culture. They had been there for decades mm -hmm. in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody knew about Mardi Gras Indians. And Mardi Gras Indians, again, we, went, we weren't allowed in the white uh, parade. So mm -hmm. we would go through the neighborhoods, mm -hmm. or the black neighborhood, mm -hmm. and make our own little parade through the neighborhood. Yeah. And, you know, people would come out early in the morning, have coolers on the neutral ground, mm -hmm. and just sit out there all day waiting for the, the Indians to come through, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the black neighborhoods, because they, they couldn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And it became a, like a neighborhood thing, a community thing. Yeah. Um, and so, <clears throat> that... We wanted that to continue, but we wanted to make sure that, you know, this, why is your 
son and daughter are going to die on this day when it's supposed to be a day of joy and celebration. Right, you right. Know? So Tootie changed the game. That's dope. So it's called, uh, that particular uh, video is called Tootie's Last Suit. Okay. And uh, that's one of, that people should watch um, uh, to understand uh, really the development of the Mardi Gras Indian and the Mardi Gras Indian culture in New Orleans. Oh. And um, there were two other movies, um, uh, All on the Mardi Gras Day, and We Won't Bow Down. I'm gonna check those out. I'll put those in the show notes as well. Yeah, all of these are available. Uh, I think All on a Mardi Gras Day was originally aired on PBS. Um, or and um, there is there is a, a movie that was just released nationally called Keeper of the Flame. Okay. And that's about the Margaret Indian culture too. And in some theaters, it's even running in some theaters right now. Okay. Yeah, right, called right. Keeper of the Flame. Okay. And it's a it's it's a Hollywood. Yeah. Ver- I haven't seen it, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, all of these are smaller budget, closer to the truth right, documentaries. More, more authentic. Yeah. Sure. They're, they're, and so I just the fact that sometimes you know when Hollywood does some stuff they they change some stuff yeah there's know? no doubt they got a yeah. they little spin on it but y'all I'll check those out put those in the show so we're coming out this Mardi Gras mm-hmm. <coughs> um, we, we you know what I was explaining to you a little bit about the competition among Indian tribes or what mm-hmm. have you <coughs> so after Katrina I came out here. Um, in, in, in 2005, actually, out of decades and decades of them being Northside Skull and Bone gang members in the gang, um, we found ourselves in 2005 with only three members. Mm-hmm. The chief, Al Mars, uh, the second chief, Bruce Sunpie Barnes, and I was flag boy. Mm-hmm. And it seemed as though we were the last of a dying breed and there was no way that I was going to let this particular part of our culture and heritage die. Mm -hmm. So Bruce evacuated, Al evacuated, and I evacuated. I landed here in Portland. I think Bruce went to Arkansas and I think Al went to Texas for a little bit and then he came back. Um, Well, Al... Uh, in that period of time of evacuation and shortly thereafter Al passed away the mm. chief passed away mm. so Bruce stepped into the chief's position and then I stepped in the second chief's position mm. um, but there were only two of us left Yeah. and after Al passed away we um, uh, that that following uh, Mardi Gras uh, I didn't come back to the city and I didn't know what had happened with Bruce but Bruce decided that he was going to uh, re-engage 
and redevelop the North Side of Skull and Bones gang. Mm-hmm. And so he reached out to several members in the community and asked them that they would be a part. And then they started working on the the adolescent and the children to mm-hmm. so start inculcating them and in, in, in enriching them in the culture yeah. and getting them ready to become the next generation to, 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 you know, to take the culture forward. And so I started a chapter out here thinking that eventually I was going to you know, bring everybody here who was from New Orleans or had roots in New Orleans or knew about the culture mm-hmm. and try to get that started here. So at least, you know, almost like they do with the Olympic torch, Past how the they yeah. have the torch, they always have the candle lit somewhere and yeah. then they take it and, yeah. you know, pass it around. And so I was going to keep the torch lit mm-hmm. here in Portland and eventually bring it back to New Orleans. But Bruce, uh, um, was very successful in his resurgence and he, he got some people together. So Northside Skull and Bones Gang is is back in mm-hmm. New Orleans and their numbers are up and there's probably about 20 gang members right now. Mm-hmm. And so, however, uh, nobody wanted to give up you know, the gang that we started here. And so I just changed the name so there won't be any confusion because Northside Skull and Bones Gang is in New Orleans it should be in New Orleans. It's part of New Orleans culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just called myself uh, uh, Northside Skull and Bones Gang, Northwest. Northwest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're we're the Northwest Bone Gang. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just changed this so there won't be any confusion. Uh, but know that you know a part of that still exists here. Right. And hopefully one day I can take. Uh, my gang, and we can go back to New Orleans and become part of that gang, and then just make one big gang. And it's gang, gang. Yeah. So what's what's going on this uh, this Mardi Gras? What you doing? So this Mardi Gras, we will uh, the uh, Northwest Bone Gang will be appearing at the Mardi Gras Ball, mm-hmm. which will be at the Tiffany uh, Ballroom uh, on March the second. Okay. Uh, it's the Saturday before Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mardi Gras is the fifth, okay. um, and that will be Fat Tuesday uh, in New Orleans, and we will have a parade here. Myself, the rest of the gang, and then there's a um, a Mardi Gras crew here, mm-hmm. based on the Mardi Gras crews in New Orleans, called the Nimbus Crew, uh, the Mystic Crew of Nimbus, mm. um, because it rains so much, Nimbus clouds and you know oh, okay. things like that. Right. Um, so, and a lot of those people uh, are residents of New Orleans ha- or have been residents of New Orleans or from Louisiana. Mm. Uh, some Shreveport, some from like Lake Charles and, and Lafayette area and things like that. Mm. And so, um, and you know, being away from New Orleans during Mardi Gras, you're a little homesick. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the, the reason or the genesis of them all coming together and trying to form a Mardi Gras crew here. So, and, and it's become, it's, become quite uh, a popular thing mm-hmm. here in Portland. I mean, there's 2,000 people, you know, uh, are anticipated for showing up. Yeah, you know? that's so, good. But yeah. that's good to hear that you, you know, you're keeping that thing going, keeping it alive and, you know, making it happen out here in the Northwest because it's not a lot of black folks out here, but, you know, whatever you can do to, to help out the black community and our culture and just keep things going in the direction that we need it to go in and not allowing someone else to dictate it, 
as always. Yeah, always, always. So uh, if you want to know more about him, uh, you can t- contact Brother Manuel here, or you can contact me, uh, or or you can go. We have a, a Facebook page, uh, Northwest Bone Gang. Uh, check out Northwest Bone Gang. We're always looking for uh, Africans to to learn a little bit more about their culture and participate in this because, again, this has centuries-old uh, uh, history and it goes back and predates, uh, you know, anything that, that, you know, most people are familiar with in terms of being African in this culture. Word. This is uniquely um, African f- from this culture and has its tentacles and has its roots in uh, the original um, uh, genesis of whatever um, particular um, nation that they come from Mm -hmm. in West Africa and um, uh, South American roots uh, like the Olmec and Grafana, you know, and things like that. So, yeah. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate your time coming through, man. Uh, I, I wrap up every episode with something called the Fab Five. So five questions I ask everybody. Uh, the first question, uh, there's a precursor to that question. What's your favorite genre of music? My favorite genre of music um, would be old school R&B. Mm. Uh, okay. The music, I'm, I'm the percussionist for the group War. Okay. And, uh, you know, we, we're called Lowrider Band now, and that goes back to somebody stealing the name from us. Uh-oh. But, uh, again, it's war's music. Yeah. Uh, World is a ghetto, slipping in the darkness, Lowrider, mm-hmm. why can't we be friends? And I constantly hear that music being played, and that music was created 50 years ago. Yeah. I hear it in elevators now. I hear it on every radio station now. Yeah. Uh, you won't hear Blurred Lines 50 years from now. So that's that's the, because the, the real question is, like, what artist or album made you fall in love with, you know? Back genre? then? Yeah, yeah. Uh, us. Okay. War. Okay. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Stevie Blurred. Wonder. Uh-huh. You know, those artists... You didn't even... All you had to know is that they had a new album out. You didn't even have to go listen to it. You just <laughs> you went and bought be, it. it yeah. You knew it was going to be banging. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And again, they don't make music like that because they don't have musicians like that anymore. That's a fact. There's no Temptations anymore. There's no Gladys Knight and the Pips anymore. There's mm. no... They're gone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you're not going to make that kind of music anymore. I mean, you know, what are you going to replace the Pips with? Miko? <laughs> even Snoop Dogg said oh. that's not even real music. Oh. Oh man, you, know, you got, you, you you got smoke for the Migos, man. Hold on, yeah, hold yeah. on. Yeah, this it, is my generation, man. What's going on? But wait a minute, hold up. <laughs> they will not be playing that music fifty years. From nah, I mean, no, yeah. no. Who, who knows where the Migos are gonna be five yeah, years from now? Yeah, right. No, I exactly. feel that's, that's classic music, man. It's, it's classic, and it's classic because they will love songs. They told stories. Yeah, man. you know, and, and, the, and but it, the but what you said is underrated, like people don't play instruments anymore no and so when we created like we we fully had all the autonomy to create from the from the bottom to the top like we did everything it wasn't no engineer necessarily like it wasn't no just one producer where anybody could use this system or whatever to make a beat like nah we did that right we was playing the drums we playing the guitar we was playing the bass like we did all of that right and so when it was all of our creativity coming together like that's unstoppable I talk to people now I ask you know in the music business a lot of young people what do you do I make beats Mm -hmm. say no you don't (laughs) what you do is you rearrange pre-recorded beats yeah I'm the drummer 
I make the beats. Word. See. Word. Yeah, you're an arranger. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give you that. There's you a know? difference. Yeah, there's there is a, a big difference. Word. Yeah. All right, so question number two. Is there a movie that has affected your outlook on life? And for the better, not a, not a birth of a nation outlook on life. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> um, not a movie. Mm. Um, a documentary series. Okay. Um, the one with um, um, the astronomer, the brother, uh, Tyson. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay, I haven't seen his that. Cosmos. Okay. When he talks about there are billions mm-hmm. of galaxies, and the, and in those galaxies are millions or billions of stars, mm. and we can only see to a point that's called the observable universe, mm-hmm. and there's more stuff even beyond that that mm. we can't see so we are the only planet in billions of billions of galaxies with life on it mm. I call bullshit mm. and so now that changes so if there's other life out there and we keep telling this story as though we're the only source of life in the galaxy what stories what are their stories Mm -hmm. what do they tell her Mm -hmm. you know and is that a more civilized society Mm -hmm. because this is this is the insane asylum here Mm -hmm. you know I'm I'm not gonna fight going Mm -hmm. you know because there has to be something better than what's going on here we have the capacity for being the kindest, warmest, most understanding, most um, heart-fulfilling uh, um, species in the universe. And we spend all our time killing and maiming and defacing and, and exploiting and raping and, you know, the cruelty that we do to animals. Mm-hmm let alone what we do to a five-month-old child or that kind of stuff. It, it, it's it just, it's mind-boggling, mm-hmm. you know, that we have this greatest, this all this potential and we waste it on crap, you know. So, no, this is not an intelligent life here. Mm-hmm. I, I want to get to wherever that intelligent life is. <laughs> right. So, don't cry for me, you know. I want... A second line parade, but celebrate my getting out of here. Word, you know? word. Uh, so oh, okay. you know the the people that cry for is the ones who are still here dealing with this insanity. That's a fact. What was that docu series called again? Cosmos. Cosmos. Okay. Yeah. All right. Question number three: When you start to feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? Uh, I've got. Drums galore <laughs> in my garage. Yeah, banging out on the drums. Huh? Yeah. yeah, but they, you know, again, but I, I'm listening to music from my day. Mm-hmm. Again, that talks about being a better person or finding a better love mm-hmm. or 
you know, what can I do to get back to you? Because I realize I messed up, mm-hmm. you know. Or see those those are the stories, those are the the love songs. That's that's what what we were talking about. How can I fix it? Yeah. You know, a lot of those stories, are the blues songs and stuff. It's like, baby, I messed up, but how can I fix? Tell me how I can fix it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> so that, or again, just going in. You know, you're never at the top mm-hmm. of your game. Mm-hmm. You can always improve. You can always be better. So just find the time to just go in there and try to improve my craft. Go in the garage and, you know, try to find like a, a little lick that I hadn't done before. Mm-hmm. Something that might fit in with, you know, a go-go style or an R&B style or a neo-soul style, you mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah. I'm trying to get this... that conga part on on spanish joint right now mm-hmm. <laughs> so so music yeah. is your therapy huh yeah that's absolutely what's that's what's up yeah i've been playing since i was 11 years old that's awesome man um question number four you've already touched on a lot of books but what book would you recommend for everyone to read right now you could you could only choose one people's history of the united states mm. when was that written do you know uh, Roughly, I, I want to say, and and there there are there's a uh, there are two there's two versions. I actually like them both. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's a children's version. Mm-hmm. I want to say, I don't want to say it says a, a children's history of the United States. Uh, one says a people's history of the United States, and the other one just says people's history of the United States. Okay. Um, Both of them are good, though. Huh? Yeah, because they tell the real, closer to the real history of what happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, again. It's not your, the history of the United States is in the textbooks that comes out of uh, the uh, Texas Book Depository, because <laughs> you know that's where most of the books come from. Mm-hmm. Um, Howard Zinn wrote two books. He wrote A People's History of the United States, um, and then he, there's one for children. Okay. Uh, um, Zen is the author. Yeah, um, and that is although it, it sounds like it, it sounds like it it's not as good. The the one that he wrote uh, for children is just as good as the uh, People's History of the United States. But it's actually closer to the truth. And I always like books, you know, because you get a book. If we write a book. Martin Luther King, Marcus Garvey and stuff, you know, it it doesn't get read by the people who really need to read it right. because it always says that, you know, well, you know, it was written by a black man for you guys, you know, it really wasn't written for me. No, this is a history of what happened, mm-hmm. you know, and, and why would you deny yourself the opportunity of knowing what actually happened as opposed to just buying the narrative because the narrative was told to somebody by somebody who looks like you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because it, it makes them feel better. Yeah. 
then you know I'm white and I'm right. I'm white and I say so. So if, it, if a black man wrote it, it doesn't apply to me. It's not. It's of. It's of no value. Little right. to no value to right. me. You know. Right. So and I, I have I have two videos, and I'm gonna send you two, mm-hmm. where again all of the the information that's being shared is being shared by a white person, mm-hmm. but it's totally, you know, like <clears throat> like the story I told you about. You walk in the he said, you know, like there's a preacher that talks about you know about this nonsense about Jesus being white when he talks about as soon as you walk into the Basilica in Rome in the Vatican Mm -hmm. there's a statue of black Madonna and black child Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so they they knew the story Mm -hmm. how is it that you know the story but you tell a different story to the world you see that's that's the problem and that has always been the problem that they know the truth they just not telling the truth Mm -hmm. and as long as you stay ignorant and sleep they can control you. Yep. Wake up. Man, we got to. Um, that's what this podcast is all about, man. Giving people unadulterated information so we can wake up, man. You you hear the facts for yourself. Don't say that you didn't hear it because you heard it. And so now once you hear it, you got to do something with it. Yeah. Uh, please research. Please research. Where? Where? Um, Again, you're gonna. There's gonna. There's a. There's a lot of critics out there, mm. you know, uh, who naysayers. They, you know, they don't want this information out. So, you know, you you find something like on the net, and then the one place where people will want to go to verify whether it's good or not is Snopes or Snoops, mm. and and. <clears throat> That's some guy sitting in his garage, but some white dude sitting mm-hmm. in his garage. You know what? He he verifies that this is correct or verifies that this is not. Why is he any more credible than the person who told you to lie to begin with? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. again, it, yeah. you know, but it, it it requires more than staring at your phone. You know, you might even have to open up your laptop or go to the library or, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's going to take some effort for sure. Yes. Yes. Last question. Number five. What message do you want communicated at your eulogy? Oh, my eulogy. Mm that there was a lot of work that needed to be done and rather than sit on the sideline I rolled up my sleeves and got in and got in it and my dad's his my whole motto was either roll up your sleeves and help me or get out of my way because mm. it's going to get done way went one way or the other mm. and at at this point in my life I turned to 68 in March. We 67? Yeah. Bro, you look good for 67, man. Black you, you don't even, you don't show it one <laughs> bit. That's crazy. Um, at this point in my life, my main goal is to raise up a generation that will be better than my generation. Yeah. Raise up a people who has knowledge, who have pride, who understands the task that's at hand, how far we've come and how far we have to go and develop some plans for to get us there. Uh, we, we've been behind the eight ball for so long, but now 
with the age of the internet. There's no reason for us to stay behind. There's no reason for us to elevate. There's no reason, um, which is evident by this recent um, crop of new uh, representatives. Mm. There are women. There are all different colors, all different nationalities. There are all different ethnicities. You know, all different. You know, it's 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 just amazing all the <clears throat> the strides that once you become woke and see that's what happened. People got woke all of a sudden. Yeah. The greatest thing that Donald Trump did was to wake people up mm-hmm. to. But on both sides, right? Yeah. Um, hey, look, uh, you know, this is happening and it's terrible. And if you don't want it to continue to happen, you're going to have to participate. Mm-hmm. Or look, this is happening and I'm afraid. So I've got to do something to quell my fears or to make me feel more comfortable mm-hmm. about the situation. Yeah. You know, how is it that we are always surrounded by white people and we function, but as soon as they get around two or three black people, all of a sudden they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They want to make phone calls. They mm-hmm. want to call the police. Mm-hmm. And again, all all it is is the plantation police. Yeah. What? Come get him and put him back on the plantation because he's not listening to me. Mm-hmm. He's not doing what I want him to do, mm-hmm. and I should be able to control him because, after all, I am better than him. I'm superior to him, and he's supposed to do what I say. Mm-hmm. Based on this movie that I saw from 1918 <laughs> that said, you know, I'm the champion of my race. Right. So, yeah, man. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy what we got to deal with, but we can't we can't give up. We got to keep fighting and we got to start with knowledge, get out of that ignorance and start moving forward, man. Hey, you know what scars tell you? What's that? That whatever tried to take you out, you were stronger than that. Mm, That's a fact. That's a fact. man. So so let's let's not forget our scars. Let's uh, let those be a reminder and just know about Chuck, man. Chuck, he did the work and he's doing the work. So let us follow in his footsteps. Let's keep doing the work, bringing our people together, doing constructive things in the community to educate and elevate our people. Um, Once again, Chuck, how can they find you? Said on Facebook. Well, uh, my name is spelled C-H-U-K. Last name Barber, B-A-R-B-E-R. You can find me on uh, Facebook. Um, you can find the Northwest Bone Gang on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Um, if you want some more information on me, you can Google me. Um, Chuck Barber, C-H-U-K, last name B-A-R-B-E-R. Um, my email address is drchuk60 at gmail.com. That's drchuck60 at gmail.com. Or you can go to Wikipedia and type in Lowrider Band, and that will give you um, a quick summary as to what happened to the band War. And my name is listed as one of the members. Um, I've been playing going on 24 years now. I took over after the original percussionist Papa D died. Holding it down, huh? Holding it down. That's what's up, man. If y'all want to hit me up, uh, you know where to go. Or if you don't know where to go, 
Twitter and Instagram at SXSNDLS. My personal Instagram, Emmanuel Since85. And once again, it's the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Appreciate y'all for rocking. Grace and peace.